Welcome. It's time for our Wednesday night uh, Bible study together. Tonight we're pre-studying the Sunday morning message. Father, we, we, we always come with grateful hearts because your mercies are new every morning and beyond our comprehension in abundance and fullness of measure. Lord, you, you, you meet our needs and more. And so, Father, we pray that you would need our needs, meet our needs to understand, to have the grace to know how to apply your truths as we open your, your word tonight. And this we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I guess next weekend is Memorial Day weekend. Is that right? So next weekend, we will be. this will be our passage. Uh, this coming Sunday in the morning and the evening, we'll have a focus on uh, Memorial Day. And so that's, that's what's coming here. Tonight we're in continuing, as we will in the morning, John 6, verses 15 to 21. So in, in verses 1 to 14, we saw the feeding of the 5,000 plus, 5,000 men plus women and children. The other Gospels make clear for us. So here's the text, and we'll break it down some. But I'll go ahead and read the whole thing. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. It was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now just, I, you know, to me, context, context, context. Now I I'm, I'm like to give you geographical context, but especially in the Gospels, uh, life of Christ context. And one of the things I asked in this is, um, well, what do you think? Is this the same incident when Jesus uh, told the storm, be still? I'm seeing some no, no. Okay. That was actually an earlier, the be still incident was an earlier event. So that's interesting. That was before the feeding of the 5,000. You know, and so, you know, it's interesting to me, they continued to be surprised. Wait a minute. I saw Jesus still a storm with a, voice, with a word. You know, it's, just, it's, and remember that when they said, you know, well, let's, here's what happened in Matthew 18, or Matthew 8, 18, and then skipping down to verses 23 to 27. When Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and sea obey him? You know, they're still trying to grasp, Who is this? I mean, what does this mean? You know, that, okay, we, you know, okay he's a prophet. Oh, he's the Messiah. Who knew Messiah could stop a storm? Um, you know, they're still trying to figure all that out. But that was before this event. So, so that's good. As we're reading this, 
This isn't the first storm that faced on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. Okay? Yes. Okay. Okay, good. Did you want to answer it for us so we can all have your help? Okay. Now, again, more context. Here's Matthew has a fuller account of what we're talking about. So this was the pre-feeding of the 5,000. Now we're back to our post, you know, now we're at right after the feeding of the 5,000. But Matthew gives us more about that in chapter 14, verses 24 to 33. The previous one was Matthew 8, and now we're in Matthew 14. And that equals John 6, 15 to 21. Okay, my... When I jump around like that, I feel like I lose some people. So you can see in the middle, he was in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, verse 24. And the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the water. So that gives us a time frame. And and so there we, we see him walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now here's what's new, or what Matthew includes, but John doesn't. Remember? Now, when John writes, Matthew's already out there. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke came before the Gospel of John is one of the later books in the New Testament. Here's what Matthew told us that John doesn't. And Peter said, answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when he, the way he says that just kind of reminds me of our dog. And so, you know, a lot of times one come doesn't do. I wonder if he had to get down and slap his knees and say, come on. You, come. come. Um, and when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now I'm going to ask a question that we can't be dogmatic about the answer, but this leads me to a question. Why didn't John include Peter's wave-walking account? Okay. There's, not, there's no absolutely right answer because there's not a scriptural statement, right? So it's kind of hypothetical. But when it comes to interpretation, the why questions are helpful. The why's about silence. Um, that's a harder thing for us to answer. But any suggestions? Why didn't, or maybe you have to wait until Sunday and think about it all week and wonder. Yes? Deanna, Deanna has an answer. People already knew that. Okay, it was already there in Matthew's account. Mm-hmm. Maybe to put the focus on Jesus, okay. not on Peter. Okay, not to put the focus on Jesus, not Peter, because people already knew about Peter's events. So let's get to the main thing. Anything else? John was jealous of Peter and didn't want to tell anyone. <laughs> Probably not. Okay, if I were writing it, that might be. No, no. Okay. Um, yeah, people knew, you know, the account 
was there, and that's a good thing to point out. There's, and there's lessons to learn. But I think in that sense, since we almost, the, the lesson becomes, you know, how to trust the Lord. And, you know, when we look at our circumstances is when we start to fail. And John wants us to say not that those are wrong things, but what's more important is, let's look at, you know, he told us all along, I want to tell you about who Jesus is. Knowing Jesus is eternal life. And, and so I want to talk about Jesus. Besides, if you want Matthew's or Peter's account, go read Matthew. Okay? My suggestion. Again, um, you know, we talked to Jesus, John in heaven. He says, you know, I can't believe I left that one out. No, of course, the Holy Spirit. But um, something to think about. Something to think about. Again, so an interpretation, why, is often a good question. Um, I'm teaching a course this summer in end of June on the on the book of Galatians by Zoom. And one of the things I'm I'm going to I'm asking them to do what we did in in seminary when I was in there we had to write what was called an argument of a book. And that's where you you develop the you write a paper that kind of develops how the author develops his main idea throughout the book. Or and and so what we're saying is what what was the author's purpose in writing? And how does each section of the book serve his purpose? And so what that helps say is, why did he write this? And so then each section we say, how does that serve his purpose? You know, it's, and that shows you stuff. So, so why is a good interpretive question. Well, let's get to our text. John six fifteen. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Something seems odd about this little verse and, and what happened. Think about it. It's one of those other incidences where he just kind of goes through people, goes somewhere and people don't even see him. Okay. You know. So Jesus just quietly dis dismisses himself okay what strikes you as is a standout idea here he wasn't ready for the time yeah so so he doesn't want to jump the gun on this Mm -hmm. what do you think about forcing someone to be king you know, don't aren't kings supposed to call the shots? And so, but they're going to grab him, and and that word um, force is they're going to take him. They're going to it's like they're going to grab him by force and kind of like drag him to the throne. Something's wrong about that. If he's king, it's if anything, it goes the other way around, right? And so, that's that's something to think about. What's your reaction to the crown's plan? And what was Jesus' reaction? Okay, they're, they're looking for a king who's going to be a, a, a government of handouts. Okay? You're going to feed us. You're going to heal us. Sounds like a good program. Yeah, 
Those, yeah, those were all secondary, weren't they, too? What's going, where's their heart? Good point. Very good point. What other reactions do you have? They didn't really understand why he was here. So their, 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 their actions show they didn't understand why he was here, is what David just said. And, and it just shows you, too, their, their purposes aren't his. And, and I think that's partly why Jesus did not just say right up front, I've come to be Messiah. Because they had assumptions of what that meant. And it didn't match theirs. You know, Jesus' assumptions and theirs didn't meet. So you notice when Paul, again and again, we read in Acts, when he went to the synagogues, one of the things he would again and again have to teach the Jewish people was to prove Jesus was the Messiah. He, had to, he demonstrated to them from the scriptures, Messiah had to suffer. You know, and if you talk to your Jewish friend and talk about Jesus as the Messiah, they say, nope. Messiah wouldn't be crucified. And so um, that's one of the things. So what do you do with that? Messiah's going to come, conquer, and reign. And where's it? You know, but you're, if you, Jesus is Messiah, he didn't conquer and reign. He was crucified. How, what do you do with that? And that's where Pete, you know, Paul would say, I'm glad you asked that question. I wrestled with that myself. Let's talk about it. And he would take him to where? Pardon me? Yeah, he'd start, he'd start bringing back to the Old Testament prophecies. And, um, you know, sometimes we, we pick and choose. And so he would say, no, you're right. Messiah's going to come and reign. But you, what about these over here? Isaiah 53 or Zechariah, Psalm 22. Yeah, good. He wasn't a guy that wanted attention or wanted power. I mean, he could have worked the crowd easily. But he goes off by himself and uh, you know, seeks his father. Instead, he came to the of his father. Absolutely. A lot of people would say, this is great. Um, offering me the kingdom, let's do it. Is, are these the first ones to offer him the kingdom? Well, who was first? Satan. Satan. Remember? Yeah, hey, we could, you could have the crown and no cross. All you got to do is worship me. Um, you can have the crown, no cross. All you got to do is feed us and heal us. And By the way, clothing. Do you do clothing, Jesus? Um, but again, what's, what, what Mark said there is what, he didn't come for their will. He came for his, even his own will. He came for his father's will. Good. It's so humorous that they're following him because he has this power to heal them. And they think that they can force somebody with that amount of ability to heal and to perform miracles. That they can come and force him. To do something, but then it's also maybe not humorous but convicting to think about how often we treat him the same way and we act like we can force him or tell him what he needs to do in our own lives. Two good points. The folly of them trying to say, He's got all this power, I'm going to force him to be king. Wait a minute, if he's got all this power, I'm sorry, I shouldn't force him, I can't force him to do something. And we do the same thing. We're going to try and make Jesus conform to our idea of what a king and God should be. We, we do this all the time. Yes? You have to wonder what J- 
Jesus said to the crowd, because in Matthew, he sends the disciples away, and then he dismisses the crowd, and then he goes off by himself. So I wonder how big the threat was since the disciples were sent away. I know he didn't need them to protect him. That's interesting. How did he uh, get the crowd to move on? Did he, or did he just say, time to go and walk, turn around? Um, did he say, I, I heard thunder. I heard lightning. I, or did it, yeah, what did he say to them? Uh, and again, that may have been in, you know, in his gentle, quiet way. He might have manifested his power and he just sent them off. That's a good point. Um, those are the kind of things about Jesus that's hard for us to grasp. But by himself, without the, the disciples to help him, he, he could ship off a crowd. Good. Good thinking. You make good frogs. Well, that's the, uh, you know, the uh, interaction over the kingship. Let's take on the next. Now, when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark. And Jesus had not come to them. So he said, go on and take off. And it was getting dark, so they just got in the boats and went. I showed this, um, when did I show this? Sunday night, right? So there's the kind of a, a picture looking down of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I'll just quickly draw your attention to some things. that. So this is the south, north, obviously. Um, so the Jordan River exits from the south and enters at the north. Here's Magdala, where Mary Magdalene came from. Here's Tiberias. We're told it's called the Sea of Tiberias, after the city that was named after the Roman Emperor Tiberius. And the city is built about AD 20, so 10 years, 15, uh, less than 10 years before our event, or about 10 years. Um, and so here is Beth. Seda or Bethsaida, um, where the disciples came from and where the feeding of the 5,000 plus happened nearby. Seems like there's another Bethsaida over here. We'll probably talk about that at some point. Now, to give you some perspective, uh, using a computer map I have, um, the distance between just, just kind of on a map, how long from there to here, it's about three miles between those two places. Okay. And the, uh, you know, this is way up north. Uh, the, the widest part of Galilee is seven miles, 13-ish miles long. So his disciples went down to the sea, and we're told they got into the boat, looked something like that. Do you see him? See her? Boats are supposed to have a mascot, aren't they? Yeah. She looks she might be getting a little seasick. I don't know. Um, so you can kind of get a feel for what it would have looked like. Now, is that the way the boat looks to you in your mind? When you think of Jesus getting into the boat, I mean, is that what you're thinking? No. Bigger. So here's an interesting find being carefully guarded. The, the, this is called the, um, the Jesus boat. 
It's called that because it is a first century fishing boat from the Sea of Galilee. And it was only discovered in, in the last de- couple of decades. And it was discovered during a time when the water was really low in the Sea of Galilee. And so there's one guy, he says, that, who discovered it. He said he, you know, he was always looking for artifacts. And when the water was really low, his, his ambition had been he wanted to find an ancient boat. So when the water was really low, he just went along the coast and he was just looking and looking and lo and behold, he found this boat. So that goes back to the time of Jesus. We can't say that Jesus was in it, but it's the kind of boat that Jesus and the disciples would have uh, been in. Now the dog may or may not be to scale, but this will give you a sense of how big it is. Okay, not huge. By the, so remember the story when the disciples are get so much fish, the boat's about to sink? Does that make a little bit more sense? I, I think some of us, some of us, when we think of fishing boats, we're thinking of maybe the fixtures we've seen up in, up in Alaska. You know, they're hauling in tons of whatever. Or maybe even the guy that goes out to the ocean and he's catching for tuna. This is a different grade of boat. Yes? Yeah, where did he sleep? Someone must have been sitting on him. You know, it's just, there's, it was tight. It was tight, and by our terms. By our terms. Um, I've got a couple of videos I want to show you about the discovery and preservations of it. So, are we ready for the big event? Let's see if I can make it work. Speculations about the boat's past were rampant. Who had sailed in this craft? Based on comparison of crew sizes, this is the type of boat that was used by Peter, James, and John, the disciples of Jesus, and inspired the artist 2,000 years ago to create the boat mosaic found in nearby Migdal. The boat had four rowers and a helmsman, just like those used by the Jewish rebels in the naval battle of Migdal against the Romans. Um, And then he goes on to describe uh, a devastating war against the Romans. We'll skip that part. I think I got this right. This should describe something of the construction of the boat. Here's the recovery of the boat. The boat's timbers, remember, are fragile and waterlogged. Transporting such a delicate, unwieldy load to its new home in the Kibbutz Museum presented a real dilemma. Orna Cohen, conservationist and archaeologist, came up with a unique solution. Strengthening the boat inside and out with a fiberglass straitjacket to keep it intact. Secure at last in its polyurethane casing, the Galilee boat is set afloat for the first time in almost two millennia. Small wonder that spirits ran high. Eleven frenetic days had passed from the beginning of the excavations to this historic moment. On board, Orna Cohen. You were the first person to ride on the boat in 2,000 years. How was it? Well, quite exciting. I enjoyed it. 
How often does one have a chance to participate She's in history in the making? An That's what Svika, kind of a volunteer from nearby Migdal, felt. I have a large farm to take care of, but every day after work I'd find myself drawn here to watch them work. And I'd stay three, four, five hours from 2 p.m. till dark. Many felt that working on the excavation team was a unique privilege. Uh, I had worked on two other salvage digs as a volunteer and um, had just completed a dig in Kasaria when the boat was found and I was lucky enough to be able to work here. The end of the journey, Beit Alon, a very special museum. Trembling fingers peel off the fiberglass, fearful of damage. A tank had been prepared for this treasure. Orna Cohen has initiated a treatment designed to gradually replace the water in the wood cells with durable wax. After several years immersion in opaque fluid, the boat will emerge fit at last for display outside the tank. The time has now come to draw some conclusions. I'm no expert, but Professor Steffi kept saying that he sensed the presence of an excellent craftsman here. By the lathe marks on the wood, a great deal of careful work went into this boat. In short, a unique vessel with a cargo of history. A discovery that reveals more about boats of this period and about ancient transport on the Sea of Galilee than we have ever known before. To whom she actually belonged, we may never discover. But the mere sight, the feel of these old timbers, stirs up visions of ancient dramas. That tractor, that when they're hauling off that thing of dirt, what were they doing there? Again, remember I said they discovered the boat when the water was low? Well, then the water started rising. And so they had to, all the people in the community were making, even kids were, after school were coming and filling sandbags so they could keep it from being submerged again. During Imagine, you know how precious this is. You saw how they were carefully cleaning the wood, but they knew if you let the wood dry out now, it'll turned to dust and so it was really a challenging thing um, and so the, covering it in that kind of fiberglass polyurethane was to preserve it intact until they could you know fill up the moisture with wax as they described but and, and so you can find if you want to go on YouTube they're a little bit longer probably two eight minute videos um, describes the construction of how they would uh, the two they would join the two pieces of wood with a tongue in between them and and I like the fact he said it was done by a master carpenter. Where would you find a master carpenter? <laughs> you wonder if Joseph built the boat or something. But anyway, they, they were so excited to find this, and it became uh, around Galilee. And they, so you can go see this in the museum at this um, kibbutz, Migdala. Migdala. Uh, let me just show you one more thing just to give you a sense of the, the construction itself.
see, it's interesting. They have this uh, mosaic from 2,000 years ago. Then they discover this boat, and it matches that mosaic, which was of boats of the time. Again, it's, it's, we, we have to get our mind around getting all his disciples and Jesus into that boat uh, and what fishing and all look like. And, but that gives you a sense of what our, what the, a better picture of what the Lord was facing and what the disciples were facing. I'm not saying that's the boat, but everyone call, it's often called the Jesus boat or the Galilee boat. And they, yeah. Was the fiberglass taken off before it was in the tank with the wax? Yes, I think so. But then I think, you know, like, like in different parts of this video, you can see them constantly spraying, watering it down just to keep that wood moist because if it dried out prematurely, it would crumble. I would hate to be the guy taking a knife in to that. No, <laughs> I'm not taking a blade anywhere near that wood. So do you know how they got the wax into the pores of the boat? So what they ended up doing then is they, they made this waxy, watery substance and just submerged it for years. And slowly that would, it would just naturally, the wax would fill in all of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Does the wax not separate from the water? You know, and these kind of restoration things are always a guess. You know, maybe you've seen sometimes these painting restorations that absolutely destroyed a masterpiece. Well, you know, it's, this is the kind of thing where they, they brought in this expert, the woman who was on top of it, and they bring in others. There are experts of a, other aspects of it. Another thing, too, around the boat, they found pottery, lamps, other things related to the first century. So that just... Uh, kind of fills in this was a thriving area um, the boat was um, yes you, you, now where you can go in and see it like that yes you may not sit in it but you can <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it just it really puts in perspective uh, how real that is okay good anyway so I mentioned that you can see more if you wanted to go on YouTube I think it's called Jesus Boat 1 and 2. Or if you just look up Jesus Boat, you find a variety of things. So, I, like on these Wednesday nights, I like to throw in maps and such to give you a picture of what would it look like. So let's go on with our text. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. And so when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And then they um, willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land where they were going. Now notice, in between those, don't be afraid, and the willing received is um, Peter's walking on the water, which John leaves out. Right, Matthew says, doesn't tell us what they thought, but they, um, yeah, because they, they, it just didn't occur to them that this could be Jesus. They, but, you know, just must have been terrifying to think you see someone walking to you on the water in the storm. So what does a storm look like um, on the Sea of Galilee? It's a lake, okay? We've been talking about that 13 miles 
by seven miles. It's not as big as Lake Texoma. It's not as big as Lake Superior. Um, it's a moderate lake. Um, so you can't figure there's going to be 30-foot waves like, you know, like out in the ocean. But again, I've got some video for you. The lake. Just a year ago, a singer-songwriter, Filippo Rossi, who is also known by his stage name Nothing Less, was able to capture this footage from a pier, located just a few hundred feet away from where Rhoda and I are standing today. And while this might look severe, we should first assess the height of the waves by using a reference object, such as the railing. Because we know that the approximate height of the rails is about 4 feet, we can take this measurement drag it to the lowest point of the wave and estimate that the height of the wave is about the same, 4 feet. And so while this water looks unusual for us, it certainly does not look big enough to make professional fishermen be scared for their lives. But luckily, we were able to gain access to another footage. The year 1992, when a famous Israeli director, Moshe Alpert, captures one of the greatest storms ever recorded on tape in the Sea of Galilee. And if we use the same analysis method, we can estimate that the height of the waves to be as high as 10 feet. On smaller boats, waves this high can definitely be considered life-threatening, even for experienced fishermen. So here's, again, a picture of what it looks like in paintings. But think about a 10-foot wave, and you saw the little boat loaded with a dozen people. And you can imagine this was overwhelming. Um, and again, partly that's begin. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is in a basin, and so these winds can come screaming down and really raise up a storm. Now, I never saw it anything like that. I wasn't there ever, I don't think, during any kind of a, this, these kind of weather conditions at all. But uh, here's within the last couple of decades, there, there was a good storm. So, pardon me? And it was dark, which makes it even more terrifying, because how bad is it? So one of the thoughts I had is, um, you know, rowing is a good exercise. Can you imagine how hard it would be to row that boat in that storm? And um, so first of all, and again, these were experienced men on this, this lake. At least most of them were experienced on the lake. And so it must have been, it, it was, it was, they were out of their league. And, and then all of a sudden, here comes this person walking quite an experience and so it says when they rode about three or four miles they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat and they were afraid now if you took that remember the way I had the the map a straight line between uh, Bethsaida and um, uh, Capernaum was maybe three miles so did they go out a little bit or you know notice it's kind of estimating here um so that's, that's the, 
And, and I did a quick thing. The, the way we get three or four miles is that's translating the Greek word stadia from stadium. And um, Unger Bible Dictionary tells me, and there's different ways of doing this, but that a stadia was 606.75 English feet. Okay, so you multiply that times 25 to 30, which is what the Greek says. It was 25 to 30 stadia, and you come up with um, 2.9 to 3.5 miles. But so they've been out rowing, and here they are in this thing, wondering if you're ever going to get to shore. When they had rowed and they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Thought he was a ghost, Matthew tells us. Okay. Pardon me? People don't walk on water. Yeah. Okay, I think I've told you. You know, sometimes I read these articles, and one person tried to explain this miracle is that when Jesus did this miracle, it was during a very cold winter in Galilee, and, and, and it was frozen. So, yeah, so all of us say, yeah, so how are the waves so threatening? And, you know. Yeah, that, again, that's sometimes. Yeah, how does Peter sing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, you got to try hard to come up with some of these things. But yeah, here they are. It's, it's scary circumstances. They are afraid in the boat. How can somebody walk on the water? And again, here's a picture of people trying to row in a storm, and you get the sense you could and it could be overwhelming. It was very difficult to go in a straight line. Oh, yeah. I imagine they were all over the place. Because you have to kind of keep the boat pointed into the It is a very troubling thing in a small boat. We, we see we this up, in our, up at the cabin where we go in this little pond. If When that wind is blowing, it is hard to get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you know, you're kind of at the mercies of the wind. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they, were, they really received him into the boat immediately. The boat was at hand, land where they were going. That looks to me like another miracle. Um, but notice, I, I'm giving you a little thing from the Greek. The English expression in my translation, it is I, is literally I am. Which is the, the Greek, trans, in Greek, that's what G, the Lord God says to Moses. Who shall I say? sent me, tell them, I am a go, a me, sent you. And that's who Je- when they, Jesus you know, said, don't be afraid, I am. And so, um, you know, remember just when, when, he, when he stilled the storm, they said, who is this? And now here he comes walking on the storm. And he says, don't be afraid. I am. Yeah. Right. So he gets in the boat, came calm, and they're arrived. You know, you know, this is not like any rabbi <laughs> that they've ever seen. Uh, this is not like, remember, John the Baptist didn't do any miracles. Um, this, so you, you're, they're still, well, let's face it, straight up to the resurrection, they're still trying to figure out. Um, how does this all put together? 
but what they experienced. Hey, any other thoughts on that? That's actually the end of our text for tonight. Any other comments? Our Lord, thank you for, um, I thank you for this time to see our Lord Jesus Christ. When we see your power in the storm, his power, Lord, remind us that nothing is too difficult for you. Father, help us be reminded of, of who our Lord Jesus Christ is and truly have a heart to worship him, to submit to him, to to honor him as the king of our heart who will do his will in our lives. And, And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.